to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. World War 7 is going down. Holy shit. It's we're past the 3, 4 and 5 and 6. The Senate is under attack by guys from Facebook. It's the goddamn apocalypse. It's um Valhalla, what are they called? Armageddon. Um it really was Armageddon. Ragnarok. Yeah, Ragnarok is happening. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sure you've already you're aware if you're listening. This is we've, there's been a few days between the greatest day in American history and now, but we had to talk about it. Uh, there's not much to say. I stand with our proud soldiers uh, sieging the Senate. Um, let's let's they're still there. Everyone, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hi, hello. They're trying to start from out. Pod in America reporting from inside the Nancy Pelosi compound or whatever um Al- i'm jake flores alex Pataki. Uh, oh i'm out Al- oh, sorry oh, I- <laughs> <laughs> we've already muffed it <laughs> fuck shit shit <laughs> damn it alex patak is here hi i knew about ragnarok guess who on the podcast is norwegian yeah. anders lee is here anders lee ha is anders lee n here as was my original here. Anderson. here from a secret coordinate uh, where I am protecting Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi um, in a room with a bed and a television. <laughs> what what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, I, know, man. <laughs> I said what I said. Anders is horny for Nancy Pelosi. I've seen your social media. What the fuck was that picture? She had huge tits. That was weird. It's real. It's it's real and it's spectacular. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, fucking holy shit. I think I'm going to try and just walk us through the events of what happened the other day because I have been glued to the fucking internet since it started going down immediately. Like it started happening while we were recording the other podcast of this week and you could hear us discovering it was happening. Let me just basically catch up everything from there. We thought it was forced to vote at first. We thought they had made their way in and were they were forcing the vote. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, they were taking a shit on the wall in Nancy Pelosi's office. We'll get to that. So, <laughs> I guess, apparently, these QAnon-ish, Trump-ish, MAGA-ish, big rallies that have been have been happening that are sort of like um, Grateful Dead style, like there's a lot of different tribes of people forming into one coalition, have been happening. And you know what? No one's really been paying attention to them because it's been happening for fucking ever, right? And uh, normally they, you know, they show up and they open carry, and then everyone just goes, "Oh, it's a bunch of fat guys, and nothing really happens," and uh, they go home. But I guess the that whole kind of world's been percolating harder and harder and harder lately. And the the what the the event that happened on Wednesday was supposed to be a Trump rally sort of thing in theory. But 
I feel like everyone kind of heard that they were going to attempt something or that they were going to, uh, I don't, I don't know if I quite knew that they were going to storm the Capitol, but they had been like fighting with the cops and stuff a few days before that. Right. You mm-hmm. saw like the proud boys going to do it with the cops. Well, I think what happened is a mixture of people showed up just to be part of it. And a, a lot of people signed on to this actual active plan to uh, storm the Senate, the Capitol building. And we know this now because in retrospect, all of this stuff was planned openly on like a website called The Donald, which is the Reddit that got taken down that was just like MAGA freaks and uh, you know, a couple other Reddits and Facebook groups. and Parlor. Uh, Parlor, yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely, parlor, right? And so, which is just how hard anyone is looking into stopping this shit because it is just on display for anybody who wants to look at it. Well, it's What's weird. It so par- oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, on the one hand, it's like annoying because you look at this and you go, "Wow, if this had been like communists or Black Lives Matter or something like that, they would have been, you know." That, like you couldn't p- plan openly like this they would have shut it down immediately right on the other hand it really speaks to how much we're just inundated with this crazy shit all the time that the line from the intelligence agencies whether it's covering their own asses or if they're being honest is like yeah fuck i don't there's like too much shit they're just we're just like i don't know they do this all the time you know <laughs> they're claiming the cia took over baghdad last week <laughs> we don't know if that's real well, what were we gonna say anders well, Parler, that was because of mods, right? They didn't have a mod, and so the government shut them down. That's um, what I heard. I guess. I don't know. We'll get to that when we get to the okay. aftermath. I'm going to go through Not this like kind of chronologically, okay? So all these fucking people like flew to D.C. from all over the country. This is not local people. It's like people from like, Alabama and Utah and shit. Uh, I think we talked about this, like Mitt Romney had gotten on a plane not realizing everyone on the plane was going to this fucking thing. So they all were just like leering at him and taking pictures of him the whole time and shit because they're coming from Utah to D.C. He's going home, you understand? Yeah. But they're like, we're going to do this thing, and no one really knew exactly what that was yet, right? Well, I think what happened is, aside from the people there that actually showed up with the plan to storm the Capitol, this is all kind of catalyzed by Trump, like live tweeting it and going like, yes, yes, good, good, you know, nothing in particular. And I think they kind of closed this gap that uh, exists between Trump and his base, especially this part of his base that's like held together via this like kind of cultish QAnon thing because QAnon is all about not like listening to what Trump says, but like it's the things he's not saying. You know what I mean? Like it's all it's about like jazz. Yeah, it's jazz. <laughs> it's all about interpreting supposed signals that are coming from him that clearly are not, but you know, it <laughs> helps fill in the gaps and create a fun new reality for people to live in, right? So as soon as I guess he just sort of started vaguely implying like someone's gotta do something about this. That was enough to go, he wants our plan that we already put into place to take hold, right? He's into it. Yeah. (laughs) And so everything... Well, a bunch of people thought they were going to get there, and then Trump was going to see the signal and begin the purge. Yeah. This is one (laughs) of... That was the plan. The craziest fucking things of all time, because 
like this par- this delusion that people had that Trump is actually talking to them is not true, but it's close enough to where like they I mean they showed up and he wasn't like you're here. He's like who the fuck are you? And then they just stormed in anyway. <laughs> but they've been just percolating for like years at this point, imagining there's got to be something like similar to this in pop culture. I can't quite place, but it's like it's such a crazy kind of culmination to the story of QAnon. So <laughs> what you had was people that showed up, obviously, with like the, the assault rifles that they like to open carry and hang off of them and shit like that. And also, there was a guy with a cooler full of Molotov cocktails. Um, there were a couple IEDs they ended up finding, and then there was another guy who had like all of these plastic zip ties with him, with the intent, I think, to like co- like capture and take hostage senators and politicians and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think everyone else that wasn't you know actively for this just saw the fucking window get bashed open and went like we're f- all right you know fucking why not because look i'm in a full coors light night uniform <laughs> i'm definitely going inside <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know you guys all saw it i mean fuck they stormed in through this window immediately I guess they pulled some sort of alarm and all these senators put on like hazmat suits, looked like they were playing like Among Us, and they all <laughs> ran out the fucking tunnel that goes underground. They took fucking selfies with each other while they were doing it. And then you just had these like Facebook dads just just rolling around the Senate, not even like particularly rioting once they're in there they're just like picking stuff up we all saw the podium guy a guy did take a shit and smear it on the wall that's which i tweeted as a joke but of course someone did (laughs) why would you not it's a once in a lifetime opportunity you're gonna get in there and not shit that's something kids do if they're if they're troubled. Um, kids do it. <laughs> they were. It's a sign of distress. Yes, yeah. for America. Chimpanzees <laughs> and shit do it. <laughs> Crazy people. Uh, um, but except for like the four people who brought Ziplocs or Molotov cocktails, though the plan was you show up and then uh, da- Daddy President sees your sign and then the executions begin. So like, there's no wonder that once they got in there, they were just like ah. Right, nothing Pictures, I guess. I guess it's picture time. (laughs) So that's what's funny about this, because, like, the word coup was thrown around, the word fascism is thrown around quite a bit, and we'll get to that later, but, like, the idea that this is a, you know, people love going, like, well, we call other people terrorists, and we never call white domestic terrorists terrorists, so we gotta call these people terrorists. I don't know if I would call this terrorism, because terrorism implies, like, a plan. But this was, like, cathartic, you know? It was like... Well, yeah. This was, this was reminded me of um, Woodstock 99, when they just started burning <laughs> shit down. Or like when oh, the- man. If Limp Biscuit had been at this thing, then <laughs> the dome would have been cracked. Absolutely. Spoon Man was playing in the background of this event. <laughs> For sure. The entire time. So the thing about uh, the the T word terrorism is, and we talked uh, about T-word. this with with Mark Bray, is that it's always been used by governments to sort of justify cracking down on dissent and and um, you know revolutionary movements and, and that are good. Like it, it there, and I'm I'm I go back and forth on this because I think you can kind of say the same about any political term that it's nebulous and can be used by people to. Uh, justify whatever they want, but especially terrorism. I think it, we should be really 
guarded and frankly probably not use it at all because it just gives more power to the security state. Whether no you use it or not, what they're going to do with this fucking event is it's going to be a fucking whole new lists yeah. in an underground compound in D.C. and we're all going to be on it. It's going to be great. Yeah. Before we even get to the political fallout let's just talk about the guys a punch of new guys came out who are your guys <laughs> this shit fucking ruled five people are dead let's we'll get to them in a minute the podium guy happened there's the old lady we all saw <laughs> all right so there's like the, the, everything became serious i guess on a level when we found out someone died but then it became kind of unserious after we found out who she was uh one of them tried to rush through a window that was being used as a barrier and guarded by like a bunch of cops or secret service or something like that with guns pointed out and uh you know she just had like a braveheart moment i saw a video of it it's crazy I, she, they shot her right in the neck because she just announced she was gonna storm them and uh you know i mean there's there's like a limit to even how much those people can get away with that shit so <laughs> you know she she's she's got an interesting story i think she was unhinged and i mean as much fun as it is to make fun of these people kind of my ultimate takeaway here is that this is like there's cult-like stuff going on there's like an emptiness that a lot of this QAnon maga stuff is filling and uh i mean this lady you know all these articles are coming out where they're going who who was she who are they or whatever and i, I read a little bit about her and you know, she was in the fucking like National Guard. She's like a military type herself, but apparently would act up and mouth off to like her commanding officer and stuff like that. Got like left and shit like that. But at one point, she was in a, a part of the National Guard known as I mean, this is like a fucking troop or whatever. I don't know what the terms for it. I don't know military terms, but she was in something called the the Capital Guardians. So like the irony is just dripping. She. <laughs> Her and the cop that died, ex-military, he was, like, deployed to Saudi Arabia and shit. Uh, they both came home from the military, which is something that's supposed to give you, you know, some kind of meaning, I guess, at some point in your life. It went yeah. crazy and ended up coming, you know, into the situation in direct violent conflict with each other. She also had a history of, like, uh, apparently she... They interviewed, like, her husband's ex-wife, and the ex-wife said... Yeah, one time I was driving home and I just saw this car in my rearview mirror and it was her and she just saw me and just fucking drove me down and like, you know, crashed into my back bumper three times or whatever. Um, nice. She stormed him. <laughs> yeah, she, she loves storming. She's always things. storming. She died doing what she loved, storming. I mean, <laughs> can't get enough, right? Um, so I'm still, you know, I don't know. It's fucking crazy, tragic, whatever. Somebody died. But, like, there are some deaths here that I there's no way to get around them being hilarious. And the first one, <laughs> I don't know if this is true. I'm sorry. Everyone has been having a field day with the guy who supposedly tasered himself in the balls, which led to him having a heart attack and then dying. Mm -hmm. I, I, I laughed at this. And What's then I funny about that? I'm skeptical. Could happen to anyone. I couldn't find any immediate like actually official reporting on the tasing in the balls part but i did find out that the new york times reported that his family made sure to say that he actually had a heart attack on the ground there and that he didn't tase himself in the balls right but here's the thing i talked to some reporters that were on the ground there and they he tased himself 
which is why he had to get picked up and he died later in the hospital, which leads me to think that his family is trying to cover up the story and they didn't do it correctly because he didn't die there. He died at the heart attack at the hospital. I think he tased Folks, himself. They don't want the you balls. to know. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. don't want you to know about the balls, but that's where he was tasing himself. He said he followed the burn marks. The story was that it was in his pocket and it just accidentally went off and it gave him a heart attack because he had high blood pressure. Um, yeah, maybe it wasn't just the balls, but I, <laughs> I mean, that's a place you tase and it, that could happen. I don't, I don't see like your thigh as being leading to a heart attack necessarily. Yeah. What this... do you know? <laughs> as a cardiologist, uh, someone who studied the connection between heart and ball. That's my hypothesis. That's what Cardi B is okay. short for. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope it's real. Don't ruin this for me. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, seriously. this guy was crazy too. His family is trying to say like, "Oh, he loved his country and all this stuff," but he went crazy with QAnon like you know a year or two ago. And uh, I mean, it's it's the only insane. Thing he it's... loved more than his country. Who was keeping a taser deep in his pockets. <laughs> I think just he was unlocked and ready to go. <laughs> he was one of those guys. There's a Facebook group. This became kind of a phenomenon in the last year or so of guys take pictures with the gun pointed at their balls or whatever. Yes. Uh, oh, I think he was in one of those groups. Um, he's in a bunch of wild Facebook groups as pictures of himself, like with two AK 47s announcing that he's going out to get Antifa and all this shit. All of these people's families are coming out and saying they went to protest peacefully. They're peaceful. And then their, their direct social media tells on them immediately. Like one, the one person that got fucking, uh, somebody got shot or something. Their, their last tweet was like, you know, I think it was the lady that got shot by the cop. Her last tweet. The time was, for blood has come. Yeah, it was like treasoners deserve to be executed or something like that. <laughs> um, maybe she's talking about herself. Yeah, she's, maybe. Right. It's a cry for help. Yeah. There's a woman that the story is still can't find out if this is necessarily entirely true. Or if this is just a fun urban legend that sort of sprung up. Apparently a woman with one of those don't tread on me flags got trampled. Like, come on, you know? That I mean, that's rough in terms of imagery there. It's too on yeah. the nose. Um, well, you know why the snake is saying don't tread on me is because how often it is tread upon being so low <laughs> to the ground. Yeah. So it kind of fits in a way. It's a nice request. That's what people take the snake out of context. It's not really trying to bite yeah, anybody. The full it quote is, please alone. don't tread on me. Yeah. All of these people were convinced that... that uh, Joe Biden was uh, you know, stealing the vote. One of the guys that died, I can't find out the way he died. The last thing he tweeted was a picture of Joe Biden as Joseph Stalin. So like Joseph Stalin. Oh, but for stealing. But <laughs> yeah. for stealing. Um, uh. the, the lady that got killed was in a Facebook group called Dad Jokes Everywhere on top of all this. And then the best one, the best one I could find is one of the guys that died was uh he had a website slash like facebook page group thing called trumparoo where his thing was that he was selling <laughs> these plush kangaroo dolls that had like trump hair and organizing <laughs> like buses to get together to come to the storm the capital thing just so he could push his trumparoo line he was a QAnon. bring your though. joeys but they said that they talked to him somebody talked to him before this and like he was uh 
he got into politics. He said, hey, I didn't get into politics like a year ago. He wasn't even interested in like politics. He just got sucked up into this thing through. It's you, you got all these like. Hey man, extra I'm here for the, the kangaroos, <laughs> and then the politics come second. Okay. <laughs> all these people are like grifting each other, and they're all like selling each other Tupperware and Herbalife and stuff. Fucking madness, right? So, <laughs> all these people die, and then I'm sure you know we all saw eventually the fallout of this is like they sort of get in the capital. They don't really have a plan. There's nobody in there for them to kill anymore. I guess the fucking national guard gets called off by trump but then they come in anyway uh some other somebody some state level thing happened or whatever and they just show up on the balcony that all these people are hanging off of and they just start throwing tear gas at them and that pretty much gets them out of there and from i was obsessed with this one part where the national guard gets called and then trump tells them to go home because you work for the national guard and people have taken over the capitol building <laughs> like what else could you be doing <laughs> that's your whole job what are you gonna like play facebook games until the shit ends this is where the trump thing gets crazy because he sort of like has this plausible deniability at all times especially in situations like this where he just kind of says nothing but then he like he does chime in and go like, nah, but what if you didn't, you know, like to the National Guard? It's like, okay, well, so you're enjoying this, right? And you kind of willed this into existence on some level. Maybe you just outright planned it. I don't know, right? Um, so then all of the the online discourse began, right? We all saw it. We got immediately off the mic. We had Representative Mo Brooks from Alabama claiming it to be Antifa in disguise. He said they they turn the MAGA hats backwards. That means they're Antifa, which is like, why would they, why would they tell what? you that? You know, because it's the so opposite the, of of a forwards MAGA hat. We didn't want to go it? the full, so we committed to putting a MAGA hat on, but we didn't. We just couldn't bring ourselves to oh. do it front. Face. If you do an upside down like rally cap MAGA hat, you're in the red guard. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because <laughs> you're the most opposite of a MAGA hat. Then. Um, did anyone see this Matt Gates shit? Yeah, he was also con- uh, accusing the same thing, right? I mean, yeah. if, uh, which yeah. completely insane, really argument to take. I think that if you're a like a wacko conservative like that, and you say that, you really painted yourself into a corner because it's going to conflict with all the no, they're actually heroes stuff that like Trump is saying, and that it's going to you know come out and be proven. One of them got shot. Is that a dead Antifa now? Are you happy about it? Like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And again, this stuff is all on Facebook. We we saw this being planned. We can. The people have been arrested. They've confessed to it. Like, <laughs> this isn't the fact that you would have to immediately pivot to that's not really them shows you just gave away that you don't support this thing they're doing. Right. Yeah. Um, the brand. They didn't pick an angle in advance, which is what you got to do. Just get everybody on the same page. You gotta just like keep your cards close to your chest, like Trump, and just every once in a while, just go like uh, you wink, you know, good. Right. Yeah. Which um, maybe this it, will lead, lead to them subtle. being. Maybe they'll get primaried for this because their constituents who went out to the Capitol are not going to appreciate being called Antifa thugs. They're going to like say like you lied, and and they're going to run against them. And then we'll have a bunch of bunch more Q Congress people. 
Well, there are already a bunch of cute Congress people, which is yeah. kind of the scary direction of this, because I think you're right, but only in the worst way. We'll get out primaried by more. Um, what was her name? Mary Miller. Something like that. Who was the woman who who was like caught on tape just uh, uh, advocating for Hitler at this rally? New Congresswoman. Oh, oh God. Uh, yeah, I saw that. She apologized for it. I think she didn't know she was quoting Hitler or something. No, she said we should be more like Hitler or something. It's just, she's trying to save her ass, but she's like clearly not taken out of context. It was some Candace Owens type argument, right? Like Hitler was good except for this, or if he had just done this a little differently. Well, we can learn a lot. Let's get to the discourse. But first, a couple other things happened. Online happened, right? All the fucking brands started tweeting about this. Axe body spray made a funny joke about someone had dropped an Axe body spray bottle at the fucking inside the Senate. They said, like, we don't we're. Yeah, I don't know. They made some joke about being lonely. Burger King just chimed in and said, like, we are not a monarchy. Ha ha ha. Burger King. Chiquita, the Chiquita brand. Somebody mentioned like Chiquita being a banana republic at one point, And they just started responding to people saying, like, you know, the history is complicated. Uh, yeah, well, it was a joke. <laughs> Someone did a joke Chiquita account because they were originally UFCO, I think, United Fruit Company, and the Dulles brothers helped overthrow the Guatemalan government for their uh, profits, basically. So they were, yeah, trying to... <laughs> so now they're f- forced into a corner where they have to, like, acknowledge that. Just Well, they're covering nothing. it today. They're like, we're different now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we're just about the bananas now. <laughs> we were hungry. You know how mad you get when you're hungry? It's over. It's fixed. I ate bananas. Uh, a fucking comedian that we know, Chrissy Mayer, was just there, <laughs> and she said she's claimed after this, like, oh, I, you know, you, you get you would criticize someone for just going to cover an event like this. Like she's like a journalist or whatever. I watched her streams. She's talking about how like Joe Biden's in a secret pedophile ring and shit. She's got the QAnon brain. It's fucking weird. People started yeah. dunking on her. She says, it, and she immediately was like, well, maybe I'm just a journalist, but like, you're also simultaneously like you can't, you're saying the QAnon stuff. It's fucking bananas. Right. She's, she's someone who uh, just recently said magas about love. And you guys can't see that because you haven't gotten to know us. But we're we're all about that. Yeah, these people are uh, fucking all about love, man. fish freaks or Grateful Deadheads, man. This is all just like a like a fucking it's like the Manson family or something. Like it's like not about the politics even. It's just about the hang. I don't know. So the comedian representation is through the roof. Oh, yeah. Because it wasn't just Chrissy Mayer. The fucking Viking guy is an improv dude. Die the Viking guy. Right. The shaman. He's a fucking improv right, he's guy. A, he's the, the, the Q shaman, and he's shirtless all the time, and women want him, men want to be him, and he storms the Capitol <laughs> and shits on the walls or whatever he does. <laughs> yeah. Which does. And people were joking about this when it was happening. It does seem like improv everywhere because it's the same skills applied for evil. <laughs> Yeah, it, truly. Yeah, it looks like you got on the subway to go to work, and everyone's wearing no fucking pants. And you're like, God damn it again, fucking UCB. <laughs> Move to a different goddamn city. So yeah. Uh, then, uh, probably the biggest story of yesterday, which is Trump's Twitter account got nuked, and it appears that they're just like knocking down 
conservative and conspiratorial you know behemoths of twitter left and right ben garrison got taken down r.i.p <laughs> um a lot he's of back on men. facebook i'm a friend of his on fb <laughs> and he compared this to the uh, he compared this to the night of the long knives which was <laughs> a nazi murder spree uh during the weimar period very similar um, right. the next thing all that of happened- the Nazis were removed from Facebook at that time. <laughs> yeah, I guess the equivalent would be if the Nazis were taken off the radio, which never happened. But um, would that be the- no? I guess I don't know. We can get into that. <laughs> so the next thing that happened is uh, the discourse becomes Republicans and conservatives sort of saving their ass left and right. People are quitting the Trump administration. Other people are, you know, the more like Josh Hawley types are kind of doubling down and saying this is Orwellian. Everyone makes fun of them because they're comparing this to 1984. The fact that uh, Trump got kicked off Twitter or whatever. Um, And in the day or two after this, um, you know, what happened is that they, they, they all left. They all they just got to fly back to their fucking homes. And people have pointed out, you know, oh, if this was Black Lives Matter, they would have fucking killed all of them, right? And that's true. And you notice, or if you listen to what the police that were in charge of guarding the Senate the day of were saying, their response you know, that sort of gives away a lot of the game, I guess, was that, well, there would have been too much violence if we had tried to apprehend everyone. So what we did is we let them go, and then we intended to track them down later. And that would never happen with anyone else, right? That's obviously, like, pretty, you know, appalling. Uh, But at the same time, something really weird that's happening, I think, is that these people proudly don't wear masks, right? And they also right. don't they don't wear masks for multiple reasons because of COVID and also because they think Antifa is cowardly or whatever. So they're taking all these selfies and stuff like that. Uh, and you could see like intelligence organizations like the FBI just tweeting like, hey, do you recognize anyone in these pictures? Like, tell them. We're trying to round everyone up. So the people that are getting arrested... They have all of their faces. The, fu- <laughs> the podium guy got arrested the god of war fucking horns pagan guy got arrested all the meme people are getting arrested because they are the ones that the they're the only ones that the fucking intelligence is able to track down because they purposely narked on themselves so if you're just rank and file out there you probably got away with this you know yeah they should have worn masks that said i'm wearing this to conceal my identity not because i believe in covid yeah <laughs> If anyone or at least a- not been caught planking on television. <laughs> I think that would help. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Trump's off Twitter. Fucking Twitter apocalypse is happening. Uh, these people are kind of getting arrested. Everyone is arguing now. Liberals and everyone have sort of staked their uh, their ground ideologically or rhetorically you know where where they're going to decide to argue about this from and a lot of it is you know liberals saying wow they didn't kill any of these people they should kill these people the way they kill black people right not the other way around yeah you know i mean honestly to me the correct takeaway from this if you're thinking about the police is this is an argument to get rid of the police because it shows you the way the police function which is they don't they only kill black people yeah. they 
no matter remake the police department any way you want it, they will never stop a horde of MAGA QAnon psycho people. The, the fucking thing is flawed, right? It doesn't make any sense. They're never going to arrest their friends from the Epic Jeep Facebook group. There were they know them off-duty police officers yeah. in the fucking MAGA horde, and they just stopped, like, high-fived each other and shit. Of course they had no idea what to do about it. Right. Yeah, the it? on-duty ones were letting them in and, like, directing them farther <laughs> into the buildings. <laughs> and taking yeah. selfies. And, and, yeah, these are people who, unlike, I think, most of the Black Lives Matter protests, many of them are armed. They have guns, some of them concealed, because some of them not, zip ties and shit, and they're not perceived that, that you have a civic right to carry a weapon, according to sort of the uh, right-wing mentality in the U.S. That's that's just as much of a right as, as free speech. So the fact that you pose a threat uh, is superseded by what they view to be constitutional rights, which are, are for white people and, and no one else. Well, if you ask me, that's the only scary part of the whole thing, because it was the funniest day in news of the year so far. I hope we can top it soon. Um, but the, the the part where you're seeing the cops and, uh, you know, mix in fascists actively get along and coordinate with each other does have this kind of like, ha ha, I'm looking at the shadow of a thing that could be bad later. Right. Ha ha kind of element to it. I, I don't know. Well, okay. yeah, I mean, the guy, the the chief of the Capitol Police resigned this. Why don't why isn't there a push to take away more of their money? You know what I mean? If they're not actually doing their job, if they're doing a shitty job. Let's take away some of the funding. No, they didn't have the funding they need. Anders, Joe Biden's going to give them twice as much. They're going to have a Gundam they can I use mean, to open the gate. Yeah, that's what they're going to say is that 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 was the problem was we, we didn't have enough training. We didn't have enough backup. The idea that there would be a training for this is so funny. What, what would the training be? Letting your friends down? Well, the preparation. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's a role play where it's like I, you have to tell this guy who has an M16 and a uh, Trump disappointing white people. Yeah, you have to awareness. tell him not today. The the training simulator for this is what uh, Jeffrey Tubin was doing when he was caught jacking off. He's uh, <laughs> gaming through all of this on his computer. So I want to talk a little bit about a couple of big takeaways from this. One of them is the word fascism, and uh, the other one is you know the concept of class and the class makeup of the. Well, I'm gonna also the third thing is. People have been arguing about what to call this. Do we call it terrorism? Do we call it an insurrection? My favorite word so far is siege. I don't care that it's yeah. not accurate. It's very fun. It makes it sound like World of Warcraft. So I'm going to go with this is the Battle of the Boomers, and what they did was siege the capital, right? So the class makeup of this, uh, I think, answers kind of the first question. So. Obviously, you have sort of ultra far right left, you know, whatever reactionary grifter types that are, for whatever reason, you know, hell bent on sort of posing the argument that this is a working class thing. And these are these are the the lost worker workers that, you know, could be part of our our revolution if, if not for all of our identity politics and our cancel culture and all this stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's probably pretty easy to disprove just just 
fucking logically with uh, the fact that this happened on a weekday. People flew out to it in the middle of a pandemic. All of these people were shouting at the top of their lungs. I am a business owner. I own jet skis and stuff. All of these people <laughs> I just mentioned that died. If you look into their lives, they're being you know reported on. Uh, fucking one of them. Owned- they brought their Donald Trump kangaroo business to the protest. <laughs> yeah, they're all small business owners. <laughs> one of them owned like that lady owned like a pool business or some shit. Um, another one was like something really similar. Um, that doesn't mean there aren't workers there, but this is probably being led by the petty bourgeois, right? And so there's a comparison right. between this and actually the up the rise of fascism in uh, Nazi Germany that you can draw here, and that's that essentially you have a resentment from the petty bourgeois, uh, and it's like they're in conflict with the big bourgeois. Like these people are angry yeah. that they aren't in power. They're not angry that they're workers necessarily. Um, right. And right. the workers who are there too, because this is a big angle people are taking is, well, this guy's a union carpenter and that guy works at my Aubon pan. You know, they're right about the, they're mad about the right things. You just got to get them on your side. Those, the people who stormed the Capitol building are not like an email away from hearing you out on this. <laughs> They're ready to arrest Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> right. And also, I mean, yeah. if you are thinking about this in terms of recruiting for supposedly trying to make this cr- like a, you know, working class wide alliance against the ruling class and in order to you know, get whatever the fuck X, Y, and Z things done in this country. Why don't you start with the people that are already like really close to you, like, you know, fucking liberal activists and stuff like that, and just like people of color and all the people that would be alienated by you going out and going, look, I found a guy. He's going to come and join our group. And he's like covered in swastika tattoos and shit. It doesn't make any fucking sense. I mean, I think the the liberal activists, that's going to be a hard sell too. a little liberal with a small L, not a big one. Yeah, well, yeah, it or depends. Even, you know, I the vast the, reservoir of disaffected people. That, yeah, we are. I think that's most who of we the need country. To, exactly. I think that's who we need to, to pull from the most. But yeah, I, I just don't understand this, like this uh, eagerness to be declarative one way or the other. I mean, I, yeah, it seems fascism historically is a petty bourgeois movement, and we should be clear about that. But that doesn't mean there were zero working class people. And that I, I am kind of skeptical of the just leap to that narrative to just drive home that um, to sort of take the the do the liberal, you know, line for them and reinforce that idea, which is that uh, poverty does not breed um, extremism, that 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 has nothing to do with people's radicalization. And we can't do any material analysis of it, because even if it, it's an entirely petty bourgeois movement, that's, there's still a class, that's still a class analysis, right? There's still material reasons why people want to protect their ill-gotten gains and use racism to justify that. But just the reality is that there are a lot of working class people with reactionary views, not all of them, right? And not all of the middle class is, is progressive. Like, but, but I just don't understand the like jump to just sort of snuff out any attempt to say that, yeah, maybe there are some maybe rural poverty in Virginia, which very close borders Washington, D.C. There are probably people who came up from there who are actually living miserable lives who are, you know, have false open in Q or Trump or whatever. Like it's sure. I don't know. I don't understand the push. This is like a different conversation. 
Yeah. Well, I'm just saying that there are people on both sides who are trying who are jumping to oversimplify. I it. think the answer to the question of why all these people were there lies not directly in strict class analysis as much as it does in the other scarier, weirder thing that's going on here, which is the bit of the bit of this starting to look a little bit like a doomsday cult type of thing, right? Because, mm. you know, as good leftists or Marxists or whatever, we're going to kind of understand that there is this, you know, there is contradiction time, right? There is this thing where you have yeah. people that are living in a, a precarious situation in society and it doesn't compute. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make them feel good at the end of the day. And so, you know, that can lead to class consciousness or that can lead to false consciousness, which is what you might call a lot of this. If you see workers out there, you might see this as like, no, brother, how about you? the enemy's capitalism and it's not lizard Jewish cabal people, right? But, I mean, the thing is, if you look at the people who happen to be out there, who happen to be workers, because I think there obviously there's a cross-class thing going on. There's a mix of people because we don't live in exactly like finite robotic times. We live in a really complicated uh, situation where... You know, this thing is you have people that don't even understand that they are a class that they are and stuff like that going on. Right. So I think that if you you look at the big picture, why are there comedians there? Why are all these like failed grifters there? Why are all these people who started a million, you know, scam careers that didn't pan out? They didn't get rich quick. Why are they all there? Why do you have these petty bourgeois people that are, you know, pissed off that their fucking like hot tub company is not taking off and booming the way they imagined that it should be. I think that has to do with alienation on like a much more existential level at this point. And I think that kind of what's interesting about this is, is that you look at all of them and you realize really, I mean, like we were just talking with Natalie off mic about this. When you see the people go, I'm a business owner and yet I'm angry that, that and literally that people were saying this, you could hear them on the news they're saying things like, uh, you know, this country is run by a small class of evil people. You go, you're almost there. This is almost an yeah. understanding that the problem is that this country is run by a small class of evil people. It's just that you put the emphasis on like, people, not the emphasis on the class, and understanding mm -hmm. that the way things are set up is the fucking problem. And I think ultimately, like, the conclusion you can kind of draw from this is that people are like, really 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 lost for a thing that should give their lives meaning and it, it this shit just came along and uh and it it offered them that which is why this didn't turn into like a like an actual siege or like a political action it turned into catharsis right they just right. showed up they just fucking kind of blew their wad and then yeah, nothing happened because like the rocket ship never showed up for them to all cut their balls off and hop on, you know? <laughs> yeah, and that's, I mean, there was a tweet from somebody who was a Q person who admitted, yeah, Q probably isn't real, but it brought us together. <laughs> and here we are, you know, they just need some sense of meaning. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I mean, I agree that like most of these people, 99%, if not, yeah, uh, 90 to 99% we're not going to win over to the left. And and the way we do win over people who might have reactionary views is not by indulging those views, right? You don't try to uh, appeal to someone who has racist views by by saying racist stuff. You, you uh, talk to them about class. Um, and that's what we have to do. But it's it's 
very, but then that's why I'm very skeptical of liberals and some leftists who try to say like, you know, we can't do that. Like the, the white working class people who are reactionary. Uh, well, first of all, they'll say that they don't exist. They'll say that, Oh, working class people aren't, are actually are not uh, reactionary. If you think that that's cause you're um, bourgeois, which is just, I don't know what to tell you if that's what you're going to, take away from this is yeah, that- there are plenty of examples in history of people becoming reactionary because they are primed for revolution because they are exactly yeah. the thing you're talking about because what they're living in is this precarity this alienation that is like the underlying you know if you're fucking reading marks or some shit you can look at mathematically how it is just okay this is specific to a certain class that doesn't get to um, you know, climb the ladder. They don't get to uh, ascend, and they don't get to sort of, you know, fruitfully multiply like other classes in society, right? But with what's going on here, I mean, I think that things have gotten to a point the way that this country is set up, where like everyone feels alienated in that way, all the way down to the bottom. You know, people just at the dredges of society up through the working class and through these like small business owners and shit, even the fucking politicians, I guess they don't seem like they really, you know, feel like they're in charge of anything anymore. They're all freaking out too. Um, that, I don't know, that alienation is like, it's proof positive of the, you know, the, 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 the thing that we're talking about in people being able to become class conscious, I guess. I don't know. Well, what are we talking about right now? Because the the overall mobilization of a revolutionary effort is, of course, going to be hinge dependent on a mobilized working class. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the people who stormed the goddamn Capitol building. (laughs) What I'm saying is those people are gone. They're not your friends. They drank all the Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah, no, no. If you, if you are worried, I, this fucking pisses me off. People spend all this time worried about, like, the precedent you set by, like, uh, 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 putting a f- picture of the Viking guy on Facebook because then the FBI can find him and now we're ratting out other activists. That sets a dangerous precedent. Motherfucker, how do you think the Q shaman would feel about throwing you in a cell for the rest of your life? Yeah. He's already there. He's already trying to take power with a staff. Right. I oh got the free These speech. People are not your fucking friends. <laughs> it's the end of the fucking world. God damn it. <laughs> the free speech thing is like a whole other can of worms that like I mean I was just to save for another episode. Uh, cuz there's just there's so much going on there, but that that's another aspect of this the fallout or the discourse from all this. Which is that people are sort of talking about the slippery slope of like, oh, if you ban Trump and uh, if you know if you if you disown these people or whatever, does that does that then lead to uh, you know to to some free speech violations that could happen on our end? And it's like they they already they're not they, are, they don't like us. They're already throwing communists and shit in jail. They have in the entire history of this country. Right. Know. The question isn't who is the real communists, the cops or the emergent fascists. It's you know. They both are, and how do you get out of the situation? I think people think right. they're in a wrestling match that has like three sides to it, where you have the feds, the like uh, MAGA people, and then like an emergent left or whatever. But you're not really. It's just you and the MAGA people, and then the FBI is just stuck in the ref position. And you both want to be that guy at the end of the day. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think historically there has been a lot of, you know, if you look at the Oklahoma City bombing, there was um, legislation passed after that that was, you know, done in the name of protecting us from right wing extremists and, and wound up sort of being used to, to persecute Muslims. And so like and, and anti-war activists, too. Um, they kind of fed into each other that that political sort of uh, trajectory, if even if it wasn't like one to one policy wise. But uh, that's something we have to be aware of as, as leftists is, you know, uh, censorship in terms of the government cracking down and and um, using its powers to stifle people from disseminating information. That is something to be wary of. But uh we're not talking about the government yet for most of this stuff. We're talking about, um, yeah, Twitter. I have a lot of wishes for the government. I don't think they care about my input on at all. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I don't want them to have new security measures and anti-terrorist cells and all the stuff they're going to have in Patriot act 2.0 in six months, but it's going to happen. Well, that's, and but that's the thing I'm thinking about with, with Twitter, right? Trump has been, uh, is he permabanned? Is he, is he never going to get back on there? He's banned. He has okay. to make an alt. Your that's... God is gone, Anders. <laughs> He's talking about making just his own social media network now. Right. And that could happen. And that could rot even Trump more brains than, than Facebook. It's, it's like these things are, you know, right now they're just sort of uh, mirrors of society. They're large corporations and people with all kinds of views come on them and are sort of uh, forced to mediate advertisements and and uh, metadata and stuff like that and, and things that are, you know, deemed provocative by the powers that be. But I think people are worried that this is going to be used to crack down on leftists. Uh, well, that's true. And it I mean, will that- be, but like, but... That's yeah, that is true. If if we keep go, if things keep going the way they have been, but I think the key is is the underlying uh, conditions that create the monopolies, and what we have to focus on is expropriating these companies because they're at this point they're public utilities, and we have to actually make them democratic. Like there's no way around that. Until we do that, uh, I feel like this discussion is kind of like going in circles. Yeah, no, I mean, the Twitter thing is, it's it's incredibly hypocritical of anyone on the right wing to complain about being deplatformed from a private organization after you've spent all these years telling us healthcare is not a right, nothing, everything is the, the private market, being able to kick you out of any situation is what actually makes society great and it makes you better at things. Maybe this will make Trump better at Twitter, I don't know, you know, because he has to not get banned from it now or something in order to compete in the marketplace. But mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, I mean, these things need to be public utilities, sure. You have to wonder how many people are about to literally lose their homes due to an eviction under COVID and get banned from Twitter at the same time and being like, I fucking knew it. <laughs> once, <laughs> once one happens, the other's happening. Yeah. I'm on the street. I, this, I'm kind of losing the thread here. There's too much to talk about. I'm gonna have, We're going to have to do more later in the week or something. We, I think we should move on. But um, anyways, you know, if you're in line, stay in line. Uh, bless all of our little you know soldiers out there in the 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 what is it called the mall what the fuck is that shit called that they're on the national mall i don't know um the capital yeah the mall i don't know i don't know what to really say about this i'm trying to come up with like a jerry springer fucking final thought about this but like holy shit that was fucking crazy and everything's what the year is off to a great start 
Yeah, it's going to be a shit show <laughs> on on the twentieth. That'll be fun to see. That's I wonder my birthday. Uh, yes, happy birthday in advance. Birthday. I think Trump might do a an alternative event, which I guess is probably the best case <laughs> scenario, right? It'll get the, it'll suck the people away from disrupting the inauguration, and um, it'll allow the left to have a presence and and protest Biden because he sucks, and I hope he gets impeached. Final thoughts. Get out there and vote. All right. Yeah. Uh, we have a guest today. Yeah. Let's uh, yes. swing into that. Eh? We sure do. Who are we talking to today, Anders? Today we're talking to, Nat- to Natalie Schur about the healthcare crisis and how you can fix it and get involved. Here we go. Here we go. We're playing Mario too much. You're now joined by Natalie Schur, who is a, a wonk. I, I believe you're not offended by that by that uh, designation. Uh, not everyone is, and uh, a, a also a television writer. You, you and I are two of the only television writers who did not uh, support Elizabeth Warren, so that's uh, notable as well. Um, but we're talking healthcare. Uh, thank you for joining us, Natalie. Thank you so much for having me. So a lot of this stuff is happening sort of in the backdrop of uh, Tuesday night when Warnock was declared uh, victorious in Georgia, uh, shortly followed by uh, Ossoff as well. Uh, Now that the Democrats have a two-seat majority, uh, how soon can we expect Medicare for All? Is it going to be in in one month, two months? Uh, What's the uh, timeline looking for that? Uh, I think it should actually be by Monday. We're recording this okay. on Saturday. That's so, what M stands for. Uh, even shorter than that. Uh, no, unfortunately, you know, as, as I think uh, we, we've always known. So it is really good news, I think, from a healthcare perspective and the perspective of a few other things that Warnock and Ossoff did win the Georgia runoff elections. And so the Senate will be officially split 50-50 with Kamala Harris as the deciding vote. Uh, that does mean that there won't be Republican obstruction in the way that it happened when they have a majority. Uh, Obviously, I think Mitch McConnell will still try to hold the line. So anything that does get passed will need uh, pretty much just, you know, all of the Democrats to agree if they want to pass anything by a majority vote through budget reconciliation. Um, You know, anything more than that, they're going to start shutting uh, shutting potentially more moderate uh, Democrats, and they're going to have a really hard time picking up uh, more than just you know a handful at best uh, Republicans on anything. So it's still uh, you know pretty pretty bleak looking forward, but you know they'll they'll have themselves to blame uh, much more obviously than they had uh, over the past several years. So it'll be interesting to see how they pivot rhetorically. Well, we have the executive branch now, right? Won't they save us? Won't they, you know, put their foot down and just throw this thing together? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, there are a couple of things that can be done in terms of healthcare by executive order. Uh, I don't know how enthusiastic Joe Biden is about exploring some of those options. Uh, I'm going to guess not too enthusiastic, but the uh, pathway does exist for certain things. Um, you know, it's it's better than a Republican presidency, but no, I don't think Joe Biden or Kamala Harris are there to save us in any meaningful way. We're going to have to do that ourselves. Uh, well, one of the things people are excited about is the possibility of Bernie Sanders now being the chairman of the Budget Committee, uh, which is cool. But after bills get out of the committee, if they even do, they're going to have to get past uh, a Joe Manchin. Um, but is there, are there other benefits to that? Because I mean, in the past couple of weeks, we've been discussing, um, political theater and the, the benefits of that, um, for reasons we'll get into, but, uh, do you think there's some way in which Sanders could, uh, call hearings that would bring attention to, to public ills that, um, would, would motivate people? Or is that also sort of an, an overrated, uh, gain? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that political theater can have a value. And, you know, certainly up until just a couple of years ago, I think that there were some important theatrical elements of Sanders' presidency. Uh, I think that political theater can play an important role in agitprop. And, you know, as people who are in the media or media adjacent, I think it would be odd to, you know, completely reject the notion that that can be helpful. Right. Uh, but what it can't do is build power on its own. So I think that Bernie Sanders has been really incredible at using his platform uh, to basically, you know, get a bunch of people's attention and then do his best to manifest that into actual power on the ground. So I'd love to see that continue. I'd prefer him in that role or, frankly, <laughs> many other government roles uh, than anyone else that could be in there. So I think that we could be happy about that. Uh, and, you know, when it comes to healthcare in particular, um, you know, Medicare for all is uh, more economically sound. It's one of those things where, you know, a lot of a lot of progressive leftist uh, agenda items really are more money. You know, I mean, the the complaints that the right has about them are true. But Medicare for all happens to be something that does make more financial sense, ultimately, when you compare the amount that it would cost versus what it would cost overall in the private sector. So I think that we have that going for us, and I would trust him to frame that well. Right. And, you know, I, there are some uh, progressives and socialists and even members of DSA who are, are still um, sort of wedded, if you will, to the idea that, you know, we, we have a floor vote and uh, there's a chance with enough galvanization that that uh, could turn into um, Medicare for all, which I, I just don't see happening under a Biden presidency or under this Congress. Uh, but there are other good things that can be done, as you were alluding to, uh, particularly surrounding uh, a health care bill that, you know, Biden wants to improve the ACA, improve, quote unquote. Um, that's that's a major agenda for the Democratic Party, prescription drug prices and stuff like that. Uh, and DSA from what I understand, has been starting to organize around making sure that healthcare bill not only has uh, direct relief, but also has tangible steps towards Medicare for all at, at some point um, at the federal level. Uh, what, what are some of those steps that um, people should be attuned to? Uh, well, over the past couple of years, we have seen Medicaid 
expand by ballot measure in several states that didn't previously have it. Uh, and, you know, for as much as whatever, whatever you want to say about the ACA, and however shortcomings, however many shortcomings it has, uh, of which there are so many that I've talked about a lot. Medicare, Medicaid expansion is the best part of that law and has done the most for the most people. And so it's pretty unequivocally good uh, that those have been expanded. There are several states that still haven't expanded it. My understanding is that most of them don't have direct uh, ballot measure laws, so they can't bring those to uh, the people in exactly the same way as it worked in, you know, Idaho, Maine, Missouri, and other states. Um, but there's still hypothetically a path forward in their um, state houses. Uh, more immediately, this isn't exactly, you know, something toward Medicare for all, I think, in the way that you're asking, but there are uh, two parts of the federal code that basically allow patent breaking in certain situations that could be used to, uh, you know, break patents and then license out different drugs to get prices down, license those to generic manufacturers. Or in the case of, you know, the state of California recently passed uh, a provision that will allow for public manufacture of drugs. Um, that would be amazing to see, you know, in other states or at the federal level. They haven't actually started doing it yet, so we're going to have to keep our eyes on it and see how it goes. But I think that that's pretty promising. Uh, there's also something called the family glitch that has kept uh, a lot of people uninsured for the past couple of years, which has to do with, um, you know, the ACA provides subsidies for people who don't get their insurance through their employer. Uh, and so people who do get their insurance through their employer, but it doesn't cover their dependents. And then those people are kind of in this um, shitty gray zone where they're not insured. Uh, that can hypothetically be fixed with um, a majority vote in budget reconciliation. And uh, another thing that can happen is that uh, hypothetically, we can address the problem on which the lawsuit currently pending in the Supreme Court uh, is predicated, which is basically that the individual mandate having been bottomed down to zero then uh, no longer constitutes a tax. And because it's not severable from the rest of the ACA, the whole law is scrapped. So that's, you've heard of this case where it's, you know, the last case standing that could potentially knock down the ACA. Mm -hmm. Basically, Congress can go in, can uh, nullify, the, you know, can just strike the individual mandates so that the premise of that case topples. So that we'll at least avoid a situation where all of a sudden tomorrow the Affordable Care Act doesn't exist, which, you know, for all of its problems, I think we can agree that that would be really a horrific thing to see happen to the tens of millions of people who get their health care through it. Uh, so, you know, I'm not going to pretend that those things are anything near uh, as exciting as Medicare for all, nor are they, you know, even approaching a scale of what's needed to overhaul the healthcare system in a just way. Um, but they are, you know, small, meaningful things that will make a difference for uh, a certain amount of people. And, you know, I think the left should push towards those things as much as it possibly can. Uh, in addition to, you know, state level, uh, state level reforms, and there are pretty active uh, single payer at the state level coalitions um, and drives happening in New York, California, and a few other states. So, you know, keep an eye on those as well. 
Yeah. Well, one of the things I'm worried about, and you know, this kind of goes back to the force the vote, is if it were to have happened, and I guess it could still happen. Some people still want a floor vote, even though uh, Pelosi is now the speaker. Um, is that it would fail enormously, and then that would allow uh, more moderate corporate Democrats to say, like, Medicare for all, it's a great idea, um, but it's not practical politically. Therefore, we need to settle for a, a public option and, and make that sort of the centerpiece of, of the Democratic Party's agenda and, and the left's agenda. You should get on board with this, because just 10 years ago, that was sort of the leftmost edge to be, you know, that was taken seriously in, in Washington. Um, but from what I have heard, it's actually I mean, it may have been the best we could have done 10 years ago, but in many ways, it could be a, a setback for for Medicare for all, um, which is something to be concerned about. What what are some of the precautions that um, a public option entails? And it is is it something that the left should even oppose it, it, uh, instead of, um, you know, pushing other reforms like the ones you were talking about? Should we should a public option even be on the agenda? Uh, so the thing with the public option is it's it's a name given to a lot of different hypothetical proposals, none of which have, you know, really gotten far enough to say unequivocally, like, OK, here's what a public option is. Um, you know, if it's if it's a super robust public option that's, you know, operated on the federal level, um, that's, you know, super subsidized, that there are very low premiums, you know, all of that there are, you know, really broad networks, uh, then you could say, okay, you know, the public option could not be as good as Medicare for all, but could make some significant differences uh, in people's material lives. And that's worth considering. Um, you know, I've also seen, I think it was Tim Kaine a few, year, few years ago, his version of the public option was something along the lines of, you know, any state where there aren't at least two uh, insurers on the state Obamacare markets, that there will be a public one in that state market, which, you know, is so meager that it's laughable. It doesn't apply to a ton of places. And the places where it does apply, you have such a small pool because it's on a state level taking in, you know, however many people sign up for the state exchanges uh, in that, you know, so uh, depending on the state, just uh, a few tens of thousands of people or so. And, uh, you know, that that really wouldn't do much. The public option would, you know, function largely similarly as the other insurer on the market. I have a question about Overall. that. Uh, What's that? I have a question about that. I think my mic might be a little low. Uh, so I, the, the reason I'm asking this is I recently had to take a trip to the DMV and the DMV is a place where the, you know, they yell at you and stuff and it's like horrible and they beat the shit out of you and then you go home and you're like, I hate the government. And, uh, I was thinking about that and I developed a conspiracy theory on my mind in my mind on the way home, which is like, I wonder if they keep the DMV shitty in order to like reinforce this idea that government run everything is terrible and stuff. Cause it seems like it does a lot of work. 
at least as like a cultural narrative thing. But uh, I guess what I'm asking is, do you think there's like a possibility where they just sort of like eke out a shitty public option and then it just ends up in that space where they purposely underfund it and stuff in order to like drive everything back in the other direction? This is like maybe, you know, 10 years down the road, all this would play out or something. Uh, I guess I'm just worried about the fundamental nature of like our political machine and it's the way it does that over time. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that that is part of the logic of austerity, right? Like, the idea that there is a public agency doing what the DMV does, or that there's a public agency doing, you know, what any other public agency does, like, that's not the problem. But then when you starve it for funds, that's when it works badly, right? Like, when you only have one person at the counter in the DMV, right. it's not going to work very well. And that's not, like, a problem with the public sector. That's a problem with the fact that it's been starved for funding. And so, yeah, I mean, if the public option or, you know, any government program as it's designed has very little funding and attention given to it, then there are going to be some problems. Like, you know, Medicaid, as as much better as it is than nothing and you know it really varies a lot from state to state there are a lot of states where you know medicaid is really not great they have very low reimbursement rates so a lot of uh providers don't want to take them uh providers who do take them you know there are all of these studies suggesting that a given provider does take medicaid but you know if a medicaid patient calls versus if a privately insured person calls like oh guess who guess who is able to find an appointment slot right, yeah. Um, so yeah and that's not that's not because public insurance works badly that's because you set up a program and didn't give it enough money to work properly uh so yeah i think that like you know starving starving public goods for funds and then pointing at it and screaming about how badly it works and saying hey now the you know private sector has to take over we can do this better like that is so out of their playbook right and that is it even possible to get uh like the sort of the robust public option you were talking about earlier from this congress from the biden administration or is anything called a public option that they passed just going to look like that no, yeah. So that's the thing. I mean, so many people push back against Medicare for all and say, hey, let's do a public option. Yeah. Best of both worlds in between, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the assumption that that's predicated on is the idea that the three and a half million or trillion dollar industry that some of these things are, you know, I mean, in the case of Medicare for all fundamentally upending. But even, you know, if you have having a public option that's robust enough to work challenges these industries significantly enough that they will push it back. So you'll get all of the pushback without any of the, you know, intuitive elegance and mobilizing force that you'll get with Medicare for all. Uh, So I've never thought that that argument does make that much sense. Um, There's a broad constituency for Medicare for all. Um, The movement has to get so much more powerful than it is but it's also a much more advanced movement. You know, no one shows up for a public option rally. Uh, maybe they would in like hey, a limited... 2009, man. <laughs> I smoked yeah, I mean, three joints at a public option rally in 2009 with... Uh, yeah, I mean, Jason I've never Mraz. smoked a joint at a Medicare for All rally, so <laughs> maybe I'm doing it wrong. Yeah, but definitely now it's it's more exciting, and that's what, what people want, right? That's that's on the tips of people's tongues is is Medicare for All with kind of forgotten about the public option and it, it it does have uh majority support in the polls but 
uh, something I've seen you dis- uh, discussing is there's a difference between sort of soft support and the hard support, which the latter of which we're actually going to need uh, to pass it in the coming years. Can you sort of illuminate that difference a little bit? Yeah. Um, you know, I think that when we look at the polling on Medicare for all, uh, as a lot of people know, it depends very heavily on how you ask the question. Um, you know, when you start to say, do you support Medicare for all, even though it would mean losing your private insurance, which of course, by definition, it does. Uh, that's a good thing. But you know, that language, I think makes people feel like nervous and defensive. Um, sometimes when you phrase, you know, positively around a public option, they like it better. Uh, different polls show different things. Oh, and when you ask about, you know, stopping insurance from being employer sponsored and just have everyone, you know, something more like that, then it gets more popular again. So, you know, it's a little hard to elucidate what people like. Uh, I think that there is enough to say this idea is popular and also confusing, which is fair. Um, And I think no matter what, you have to look at those numbers and realize that, yeah, I mean, however many people saying that they support the idea of Medicare for all. Not every single one of those is going to be a body in the street. I wish I could think of it off the top of my head. Someone on Twitter tweeted and said the analogy is, you know, almost everyone will say they like homemade bread and not everyone's at home baking it every day, right? Right. Like those are different levels of engagement, different levels of interest. I don't know if Um, you were here for the pandemic, but uh, everyone was at home baking it all day. So (laughs) uh, your argument is completely destroyed. I'm sorry. Some of us were pretending (laughs) to bake it and just buying it at a store and putting it in our oven. (laughs) I Googled how to make it a few times and I like left the tabs open on my computer for weeks and then just closed them. (laughs) I had to forfeit. Yeah, that shit sounds boring. (laughs) Yeah, it's not even, I mean, bread, I don't know, bread's not that good. Like, it's fine, but like, I don't know, it's pretty cheap at the supermarket. So, yeah, pretty easy to get your hands on. It's the, 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 the only decent Norwegian food is bread. It's lefse, and it still tastes like butt. It's just, like, it's a very boring food. Uh, anyway, sorry, you're talking about getting the bodies in the streets, uh, taking the yeah, capital, need, if you yeah. will, possibly, something yes. that could happen in the future, maybe. Uh, Yes, public education, bodies in the streets. And we also need to realize that no matter what the polls say now, once this gets to a point where we're reaching a fever pitch, we're kind of in, you know, striking distance of striking distance from passing this thing, which will, you know, require like a resurgent powerful left and a ton of other things. Um, That three and a half trillion dollar industry that is absolutely built on this financial model, they will throw, I mean, there's no ceiling to what they'll throw at this. And Mm -hmm. like, I don't think, you know, obviously there are already healthcare lobbyists in Washington. There's already, you know, negative anti-Medicare for all propaganda that exists. The Partnership for America's Healthcare Future is like this, you know, small group of industry players that has started to put money into combating this idea specifically, they've only spent a few million so far. Like, I don't think that everyone realizes how enormous this demand is and how much pushback it will get. And unfortunately, you know, polling is going to be affected by that, as as you could expect. So, you know, that's okay. 
we can inoculate ourselves in the movement against that, but it's going to take a little more than pointing to something and saying like 70% of people when they got a phone call said, yes, they like this idea. Right. That, and that's one of the things that sort of frustrated me is people would say like, well, how could it get any worse? How could the coverage on Medicare for all get any worse? <laughs> well, there's still a bit, you know, it could get worse in the sense that people could stop supporting it like they used to yeah. just a few years ago, you know, that, that I mean, could, yeah, look at what happened with Prop 22. Like that, yeah. that should tell anybody like, don't, don't be super confident about polling and understand how relentlessly mm-hmm. these corporations among the most profitable on earth will try to kill this thing. Right. Well, one of the paths that you were sort of alluding to earlier was the state level. And, and of course, this is, you know, we all wanted at this point in time to have uh, Bernie Sanders as the president-elect and uh, <laughs> pushing Medicare for all. And, uh, and, you know, I think a floor vote at that, if that had been the case, would have been uh, a much better idea. Um, it would be awesome if Brianna Joy Gray was his press secretary right now as the transition for the transition team. Uh, but that didn't happen, unfortunately. Uh, and so it's, you know, not looking um, too hopeful for a bill like that passing at the federal level, both houses of Congress signed into law. Um, in the past, I know there's been some resistance to pursuing the state path because I believe it's it's very complicated just at a policy level. Like there could be a lot of drawbacks there. But mm-hmm. uh, so like, wh- what are some of those? And then also, even with them, is it isn't that just the most uh, realistic, plausible political path, regardless of the policy? Like to since Joe Biden is the president uh, at this point, wouldn't isn't it just the best strategy now to, to push it at, at the state level? Yes. So there are a lot of drawbacks to the uh, state level single payer strategy. Um, And I think it's important to be honest with them. Uh, And I'll also say, you know, there is no state level single payer supporter who is not also a national level single payer supporter. Um, You know, they see it, they basically quote, in Canada, uh, their single payer system began in Saskatchewan. Uh, and then once they were able to prove that it functioned well, was eventually rolled out over the course of, I think, 20 years or so uh, uh, into every province. So there is a model there. You know, the end goal isn't to just have this thing in California and then have Californians be uh, surviving when other people in another state would die. Like, you know, that's that's not what's going on here. Um if you pitch it to said, Californians like that, then maybe they would be more in favor of it. If they're like, we're the last life raft who's going to survive. They, oh. they have the most natural disasters. Tell me about Los Angeles and how great it is. Some more. <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're going to have to dream up some talking points. They've never brought that up before. <laughs> so this is the perfect time to do it. Um, but yeah. So in terms of justice state, it's also one of those things where it depends on what state. Uh, A lot of talk has happened about Vermont, which several years ago, as you may remember, before Bernie even ran, they passed state level single payer. uh, But then there was never an ability to figure out the financing in a way that made sense, which is a few things. One, the vast majority of states, you know, are financed differently than uh, at the federal level. They can't take on debt. They, you know, have to recoup a lot of this themselves. And so the numbers don't 
work out as well. Um, Vermont in particular, a lot of its providers were actually right over the state border. So like a very significant percentage of Vermonters go to like Dartmouth's hospital system in New Hampshire, for example. And so that issue doesn't really exist in California because it's massive metro areas are all pretty in California. But you could definitely see it being a problem for, you know, New York. Yeah. Or um, other other places where their big metro area has people living in a few different states like that, that, that would not insurmountable, but it, you know, presents some questions. Um, so one of the other important uh, potential issues and some of the, you know, not all these things have been litigated before. So in terms of whether whether each thing is legal, like that's something that would have to work its way through the courts. But Ro Khanna has introduced a bill uh, that would essentially allow um, federal funds to be reallocated into uh, state-level single-payer funds. So he's kind of written the, the bill with these uh, barriers, these potential legal barriers in mind. Um, so, you know, getting getting a vote on that could be important. And I don't necessarily think that the politics are intuitive on that. You know, I think that even someone like Nancy Pelosi, who is very obviously against single payer, like politically and ideologically, I don't know if she would necessarily be opposed to like kicking it to the states and basically saying like, this isn't on me, this is on you if it doesn't work. I, yeah, she, she may or may not be against that. I don't think that that's something that people have ever really like explored the politics of. Yeah. Um, but so all of, all of those things aside, the advantage of the state level model is, you know, first of all, you've got the Saskatchewan to Canada example, and that's, mm -hmm. I think, pretty heartening. Um, you've also got the fact that depending on what state you're in, this is the more politically amenable pathway right now. Um, yeah. You know, being able to pass this thing or at least like politically fight for it gives you a reason to knock on doors. It gives you a reason to build coalitions in your own state. You know, in 2017, there was a huge push for uh, single payer in California. Um, we did pass it through the uh, state Senate, but not the assembly. And so, you know, it had some, it had a decent amount of support and I was part of that fight. And it was, uh, I think really like politically galvanizing for a lot of people. And a lot of those organizers are, you know, either still working on the renewed coalition that's there now, or they're doing other work to push leftward legislation in the state. They're in DSA, they're working with tenants unions, et cetera. So, right. you know, I think that these are valuable political pathways uh, in a way that, you know, theatrics surrounding a national level bill that has absolutely zero chance of passing right now. Once in a while, those things are still important. You want to make mm -hmm. sure that it stays on people's radars. Um, but I think that there is a chance for people to move forward in substantive ways at the state level and in so doing, building coalitions and partnerships and organizing with people in their communities and their state, and that that's going to be useful no matter what. Yeah. And, and one of the things I'm sort of foreseeing potentially is like kind of forcing a crisis, which is not, you know, something that is uh, is desirable necessarily in healthcare because there are real lives at stake. So we should be 
serious about the gravity of the situation. But if there is a uh, a problem between states that, you know, some people have uh, single payer, some people don't, and they're in a metro area, that, that creates problems for politicians in these states that could push them in the direction of um, just having to create a, another single payer system and then potentially a, a national one. And I, I, to me, wouldn't you be afraid of it going the other way, though? Wouldn't you be afraid of, you know, one state having single payer, another state not having single payer, and then the Goliath healthcare corporations, which still exist under this mostly privatized healthcare network of the future, just coming together and crushing it like a little bug? Yeah, that's a concern. But I think if people are getting the health care, right, and their lives are actually improving, then that's a hard thing to, like, strip away and, and to to oppose um, politically. Like, I, I could see I mean, that's that's a concern, too. And again, we don't want to sort of play with with people's lives and health. But um, it seems like a, a political crisis could just be the the thing that we have to sort of try and force. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that those are both good points, and it's hard to say what would happen, or maybe it would be a combination of both. I mean, you know, in terms of the state level model, like Romney Care in Massachusetts essentially did become Obamacare, and I think that the fact that it had been tried and that the you know benefits could be demonstrated on a state level was uh, politically meaningful in mm-hmm. terms of pushing it forward. It's pretty common that, you know, something working at any state level gets expanded to other states or the national level. I mean, you know, marijuana legalization being a very different example, but, you know, you can certainly see those dynamics play out. But it's also true that, like, (laughs) that being the case, the healthcare industry will be aware of it. And they're not going to sit back and let this happen. And, you know, particularly California, they worked so hard funneling millions of dollars in 2016 against a ballot measure, uh, Prop 64, that would have, I believe, pegged drug prices to what the VA pays. So, you know, because the VA is such a big single payer, um, individual payer, um, they are able to get deals that, you know, Cigna, et cetera, can't. Uh, And so they, you know, put a ton of time and effort into killing that. But, uh, you know, knock on wood, that's that's the point of organizing and building power behind your movement. And, you know, the left has a lot more to build, but it's stronger now than it was in 2016. And, you know, the idea is that it'll be stronger in 2024 than it is now. Yeah. Um, And so I think that's still still what people have to have their eyes on. And, you know, we'll we'll see where the cookie crumbles. But. I think the, the the point of leftist organizing is hoping that hoping that it goes well. Right. Yeah. And I think we, you know, definitely uh, there, there is a lot of support that's good. And, and uh, but a lot of the support now is particularly up among uh, millennials, which is is great. It's heartening to see. Um, but I'm, you know, trying to think of ways to sort of expand that uh, to to older people who, you know, when I talk to my parents who they support Medicare for all, they both voted for Bernie, but the term does kind of like make them a little uh, uneasy because they, you know, they're both 100 years old. Uh, I, I can't see them or I will probably kill them uh, for the next year or so. Um, and they pay a, a little too much They in Medicare premiums uh, that, you know, that doesn't sound like a good intuitively it, it sounds a little um odd that you would want to expand that if to everybody but uh from a policy standpoint 
that would actually save the money, right? Is, isn't that the case that that would bring down the, the price for seniors uh, if everybody was paying into the same system? Yeah. So it's called, you know, single payer healthcare right. um, used to be referred to, you know, something closer to national health insurance in the United States. Medicare for all, I think what that slogan does is it pulls well, it sounds good, it's snappy, uh, and it's basically a way to um, explain quickly to an American audience what single payer means using the most available reference point. Um, but that being said, it's not the same as the Medicare program as it's currently yeah. constituted. Um, the, the things you're describing, so there are several parts of Medicare. I'm sure you've heard A, B, C, D. Um, but basically one is um, free or no cost or free or low cost uh, hospital care. Uh, another one is, you know, through your providers, 80-20%. So they pay 80% and you pay 20%. And because healthcare costs have gone up so high, um, a lot of people have something called Medigap insurance, which is uh, insurance that covers the parts of your healthcare uh, needs that isn't covered by traditional Medicare. And, you know, those plans can be a little different. So, you know, it's, it is true that between your premiums for your standard Medicare plan um, and or, you know, if you're, if you're on Part C, you might have a plan that's administered by uh, a private insurer. And there are a lot of problems with those plans, but, you know, a decent amount of people use them. If you're healthy, you might save money, even if they don't cover as much. Um, and, you know, then Medicare Part D is for drugs. So between paying for all of those things, depending on what your needs are, you can definitely be spending a lot of money. I mean, I think that there's a significant amount of seniors who pay about 25% of their income in healthcare costs. And the Medicare for all plan would eliminate a lot of the cost sharing that forces them to do that. Mm -hmm. So it would try to be pushing healthcare into just a completely standard, progressively taxed system that then provides care free at the point of use. So, you know, everyone's paying what they need to pay on the back end, but there's no copay, no financial barrier at the moment that you come in and you need care or you need drugs. Uh, and so, you know, even if people's taxes go up, they're going to be spending a lot less overall. Right. And yeah, I, I think this is sort of the, the dilemma here, which is like, how do you uh, pitch it? You know, because I remember when it was, as you were saying, single payer, and that was People were like, "What is this a video game? Like, what am I? Yeah, am I a you know a doctor in a in a game, and that's how I get my health care? Like, what? Uh, what and Medicare for all? Am I a doctor in a game? <laughs> People were always saying that. I remember. Mass confusion over this issue. <laughs> well, now it's so much better. Trying to go right? to the hospital, not play a video game. <laughs> what are we even talking about right now? The only yeah, the only way you can get because there's so few doctors and so many patients that they have to do the surgeries virtually. That's what I thought. You uh, want me to be the doctor? I'm dying. <laughs> this isn't what, is this what socialism is? This isn't what I wanted. But now it's a lot better, right? That Medicare for all is, is a much better slogan, I think, but it's, there's still that issue of getting the seniors on board and explaining to them that it's not just Medicare for all, it's better care for all. Right, we're gonna. Uh, we go. Yeah. Uh, did you just come up with that? I did. 
I'll have to write that down. Some, I, I believe it's Physicians for a National Health Program on all of their signs. They have um, improved and expanded Medicare for all. And that doesn't have the same ring to it. Yeah. Uh, I also think that one, you know, single payer is not a sexy phrase and no one understands what it means because healthcare is super confusing. You need to know a little bit about healthcare to realize why a single payer, you know, one government payer in which everyone's in the same pool uh, is preferable to uh, a multi-payer system where, you know, you have Cigna, I have that now, you have this, you have that, you have a gold plan, you have a silver plan. Um, And that what that does is it creates an enormous amount of confusion and administrative bloat. And a lot of that also gets pushed on to patients. So all of that said, I think you know, single payer is not exciting, but that phrase does get at, I think, what's a major and perhaps too often ignored advantage of Medicare for all is that you don't have to argue with your insurance provider. You don't have to, you know, call your doctor to ask about a certain bill. You don't have to be on hold with your insurance companies. You don't have to, you know, beg through tears for something to be covered because they want it to be pre-authorized so that they don't have to pay too much on the back end. Um, I think that that is really meaningful for people. And I've, over the years, interviewed so many people who have horrible, horrible experiences uh, with their insurer and with their provider arguing about the financials of something and just eliminating that and just having healthcare be available when you need it uh, without having to you know, beg for it on the back end over the phone, spending hours of your life, I think is something that would really change the way that people experience this part of their lives. What if the slogan was hot single payers in your area? And we put it like in the side, (laughs) a little gif thing that uh, it's really annoying. You have like a Tinder thing, but for your doctor where you get to swipe right on the doctor you like you click on it and you think it's you're going to talk to a doctor and then it takes a million pop-ups pop up and shit <laughs> that's what's going to happen if we have pete Buttigieg's plan right uh, and it's still marketized i think um but yeah as we're kind of wrapping up here you mentioned california great place probably the the best state it sounds like to get involved with passing this i know new york is also pushing this uh, and what are some other ways people can can fight the fight? Uh, I know that uh, there's a big push for unions to support Medicare for all because there's a big gap there, uh, as with a lot of things, but a, a big gap on health care between the leadership and the rank and file. Uh, what are the ways the folks listening at home can uh, get involved and push this? Yeah, so I, I spoke most about California just because I live there and I was really active in the single co- pair coalition there. So I know the most about that. Uh, there's definitely also a pit, uh, push in New York. Uh, I think that their political conditions are more amenable after their last election. So they're feeling good about that. Yes. They have, um, so, they, sorry to interrupt. There's a uh, now a super majority in the Senate. So potentially Cuomo's veto could be overridden, which is exciting news. Yeah, that's exciting news. And they also, I believe, passed their bill through the assembly in 2017. Mm -hmm. So politically, they're probably close to where California is. Um, The uh, there there was just a bill reintroduced in Massachusetts that I'm phone banking for sometime soon. I don't think it's as politically far down the line, but, you know, this is how you make those things happen. Uh, So I think a lot of states have active bills and people can get uh, keyed into those and they can see who else is in the coalition. They can meet other organizers, that kind of thing. 
Um, there are, yes, uh, a lot of, there's a lot of work to be done, uh, with unions. I think that that's one of the big missing puzzle pieces in the Medicare for all fight. So if someone who's listening is in a union, you can get more active, uh, in your rank and file, organize with colleagues, try to bring a resolution, you know, depending on how your union does those things, you can try to, uh, turn your union into a force to fight for this. Uh, I know that it doesn't sound related, but it absolutely is. I think if you're not part of a union, uh, but you do have a workplace, organizing a union is uh, an absolutely vital way to push leftward politics. And, you know, if you don't feel like that is related to Medicare for all, that's absolutely what we need to get to the conditions where it's even politically possible as a resurgent, robust left led by labor in this country. Uh, And it's also very relevant that, you know, some of the most transformative leftward pieces of legislation in American history, they happened in bundles, right? Like the New Deal and Great Society programs weren't just one-offs for a reason. They were part of, you know, this, uh, this web of organizing and like political pushes from several directions. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. Um, So that's relevant. Um, There are, Potentially insurgent campaigns that will be pushing for 2022. Uh, that's at the you know state or national level. A lot of this really depends specifically on where you live. Um, and then I'm not like I said off the top of my head. I don't know about uh, what the situation is with the remaining states that haven't expanded Medicaid. Um, whether there's agitation around those, but I have interviewed people who. Uh, led those organizing coalitions in other states, um, Luke Mayville in Idaho being an important one. And those fights have very prominently included Medicare for all people. So, right. you know, these are, these are very, um, they're, they're groups of organizers with a lot of overlap and, you know, fighting for something that isn't your exact goal, but has a lot of people who will be amenable to your goal to, you know, win something and then find a way forward together, I think is really valuable, uh, especially if you're in a state that doesn't have Medicaid yet, which means that there are, you know, I don't know how many people uh, living relatively close to you who, who could be covered uh, and, you know, see how this changes their lives. And that's, you know, really right organizing terrain. So it's not a specific answer because it depends on where you are. Um, But, you know, if anyone, if anyone listening wants more geographically specific suggestions, tell them that they are free to reach out to me. Cool. Interrupt. Yeah. I think the best thing we could do is get, just get more people healthcare that is publicly provided from, from things like Medicaid, right? When you expand that, you expose more people to what a single payer system might look like. Uh, and you get them on board and you, you, you show people how rotten the uh, well, people already know how rotten the private industry is, but they'll get to see alternatives to it, which I think is huge. And something we didn't get to is uh, potentially lowering the age for Medicare enrollment, which is felt like kind of an insult at the time when Biden proposed it. But that's a big threat to the private insurance industry, I think, because it's lower to millions. 15, brother. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think yeah, get the libertarians be. involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they should do it just for people 20 to 30 and then right. you get off it. No, but if you're like, dating someone more than seven years older than you, your health insurance is free. <laughs> <laughs> but like you don't, but that sh- sh- gives people healthcare, and sh- and pe- they have friends and neighbors who see that that their lives are improving, and that you know um, uh, 
gains more support for it. So I think all yeah. of these things are great. Um, Medicare for all is the thing you should fight for. Medicare for all, whether you want it or not, is I think the slogan that we should choose. Uh, and yeah, get involved. Join DSA, Labor for Single Payer. You know the orgs. Um, uh, thank you for joining us, Natalie. Where, where can people find you? Um, yeah, on Twitter, I'm at Natalie Shirley, which is a lame pun that I <laughs> decided on 10 years ago and now can't get out of. Our podcast is called Pod yeah. Damn America. <laughs> Just going to throw yeah. it out there. So you, guys, you guys get it. <laughs> right. Can't resist a pun, but then you got to live with them. Yeah. Uh, anything else? That's it. No, I think that's it. Pod damn you all. And thank you guys for having me. Uh, pod damn to you. As pod well. damn you as well. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. Cool. Anybody else? Plugs. Alex. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Patak Jokes. Listen to my other podcast, Balling Out Super and Theater of Delight, season three in production. It's going to be about if weed was illegal and the government had to burn it. <laughs> and that's it for me. Cool. At Anders Lee here on Twitter, Dursley One on Instagram. Check out my other job redacted tonight. And please. Uh, stay tuned for twitch.tv slash by damn America. We are going to do, uh, I'm going to do anyway, some more uh, cinematic screenings. So if we have any uh, filmophiles, as they're called. Flying um, in the face of the law. Well, th- Let so them you, come find us. <laughs> you can watch, you can watch um, stuff via Amazon. If it's free on Prime, then we can set up a little watch party thing on Twitch. Otherwise, we might do. We had a lot of fun uh, last night doing a a Zoom screening of Return to Oz, and then we talked about it on Twitch. So we're going to do more stuff like that. Uh, so okay. check us out. Yeah, if you're a Twitch freak, check us out. Uh, I've been playing games on there and just sort of freestyling, talking about shit. Uh, I've been reading tarot cards. I read I read tarot cards and predicted both the outcomes of the uh, Senate races in Georgia this week and. The outcome of the siege on the Senate, uh, both incorrectly, but I'm going to try to get better. So, you know, we'll do that late at night. That'll be fun. Um, my other podcast. Anders is going to launch his rap career on there. Uh-huh. He's going to be freestyling in the classical sense. And you can Last watch name that. Lee, first name Anders. You can fools like Deion Sanders. You are not freestyling. You've done that on the show before. That's for the only. That's how I begin them all. He needs somewhere <laughs> to them. start to get the juices flowing. Oh, I see. I see. That's, that's just a preview. You're doing that like breakdance thing where they're not started yet, but they're just switching their feet around while you're doing it. I got you. Yes, warming up. Um, I can't have you oppressing the talent like this. <laughs> <laughs> Other podcasts of mine is Why You Mad. Uh, me and Luisa Diaz doing fun theory and pop culture and art history bullshit. And uh, oh, a uh, couple of things. Big announcement: new merch. Our merch store, by the time this comes out, maybe a day or two after this, should be updated. I got new shirts and some cool stickers and stuff with rats on them. You know how I like them. Uh, They look cool. Um, (laughs) Also, I want to give a shout out. Speaking of shirts to this guy at John Brown Fun Club, who made a bunch of John Brown shirts, and he sent me one. It's badass. uh, It looks like one of those Scarface shirts. With, it's got like the same coloring, you know, with like the black and white and then the orange, except instead of Scarface pointing a gun at you, it's John Brown's face and it says, find out, right? And obviously that is in reference to the 
term fuck around and find out that we're all familiar with but he told uh, me which that, he oh. originated <laughs> yeah john brown said that the first time um but he, he told me a funny story about it which is that he uh first of all listened to our show which i appreciate and uh made all this john brown shit and then he went to a john brown museum near where he lives and there was like a sweet little old lady that ran the gift shop and he was showing her the shirts and she saw that one and she was like, oh, find out. Maybe we can sell this here so people can find out about John Brown. Ah. <laughs> 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 you didn't realize what it meant. I hope they do it. It was adorable. <laughs> um, find uh, out about John Brown. Yeah. I want to sell that lady some single player health care. There you go. We should sell her all of our ideas. She won't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, if you yeah. need to dump off some merch that isn't moving, find the John Brown gift shop museum lady. All right. I think that's it. Uh, it's finito. It's finished. If you need.